What is Crackalackin' Harbor Knox listeners? I am Dan Valley coming at you once more without my fantabulous co-host, Adam Frommel. I am, however, excited, as always, to keep our season look-ahead train a-rollin'. Today, we're going to be talking about the Atlanta Hawks with Sarah K. Spencer. She covers the Atlanta Hawks for the AGC, otherwise known as the Atlanta Journal Constitution. She does a fantastic job, publishes great stories over there. There's always something every once in a while, it seems like she publishes that's just really fun and, and offbeat. Great follow on Twitter. So you should follow her on Twitter at Sarah underscore K underscore Spence, spelled exactly as it sounds. Before we dive into a conversation about the Hawks and puppies, don't worry, there are puppy references throughout this podcast. Just a reminder to please, please, a pretty please with sugar on top or whatever your favorite artificial sweetener might be, zero calorie sweetener, whatever. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you're getting your podcasts, whether you use iTunes or not. However, we do ask that you head over there, search Hardwood Knox, throw us a five-star rating, write review. It just takes a few few seconds, and those numbers really do help us out, believe it or not. If this is your first time listening to us just because you want to learn more about the Hawks or you've stumbled upon us randomly, consider giving us that permanent subscribe button from wherever you get your podcast, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, whatever. We are on YouTube as well. Search Hardwood Knox on YouTube.com. We will come up, subscribe to us. Once we get to 1K subscribers, we will start doing some live YouTube exclusive stuff, or maybe, you know, we'll do live mailbags, talk to you guys, maybe live during a game. So head over to youtube.com, subscribe to us. We are not, we're more than halfway to a thousand subscribers and we've only been doing that YouTube channel for a couple months. And I haven't implemented the actual video element uh, yet of it because I've been so busy or maybe I'm just too lazy. One or the other, you decide for yourself. But again, if this is your first time listening to us, yo, what's up? Thanks for listening to us. I really appreciate it. Uh, But subscribe to us, consider that download all our episodes, rate, review, wherever you're getting your podcasts. With that out of the way, let's get to all things Atlanta Hawks with Sarah K. Spencer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Sarah, thank you so much for coming back on Hardwood Knox to talk some Atlanta Hawks with me. First and foremost, though, how are you doing? How's your offseason been? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Um, no, I, it's been amazing off season. I actually got married. Um, so it's been like busy, but relaxed and great too. Um, so no, it's just been, it's just been wonderful. Um, but now everything is starting to really, really ramp up. Um, and I think the Hawks have a really interesting season in store. So that's exciting too. Well, congratulations on getting married and also congratulations on, did you just get your dog Millie? Was this like Uh, right around the off season? So Millie is, she's also in the background eating some peanut butter right now. So if anyone hears like licking noises, that's what that is. Uh, So we're hoping she behaves. Um, We got her, I think almost three months ago um, or a little bit less. So now she's like, I remember bringing her home and she's just like a tiny little cotton ball. And now she's like, she's almost 30 pounds. Um, She might end up being like close to 50 pounds. So she's, she's a unit already. Uh, uh, a little under six months um so no she's she's the best it's been exciting what type of a dog is she she's an australian shepherd Ooh. 
to see pictures of her just go on my Twitter. I just spam. It's not even Hawk's content anymore. I just spam my Twitter with pictures of Millie. <laughs> I have to stop myself from posting too many pictures of uh, my dog. So I totally feel you there. It, it's so like, it's so cathartic though. And I feel like whenever I see pictures of other people's dogs, particularly before I had a dog, but even still now, it makes, it made me so happy. So now that I have a dog, I'm like, Hey, if you're having a rough day, here's this picture of Millie napping. You know, I don't know. I, maybe people are annoyed with it, but I, I like it. <laughs> I love seeing videos and pictures of puppies. Um, these were like really my first two puppies. All my other dogs I kind of had when they were a little bit older and puppies clearly aren't for me. Like now that they're dogs, I really love them, but puppies, puppies are, are awesome. <laughs> I, I was like, we were overwhelmed by it because we were, I think both of us had like family dogs growing up, but like you're kind of a child and not really understanding right. the depth of, of having a puppy. And so we got her when she was little and we brought her home and we were like, even like the car ride home, she just wouldn't stop like wailing. Cause she was, <laughs> she was nervous. And we were just like looking at each other, like, this is, did we bite off more than we can chew? Um, and the first few weeks were tough, but now she's, she's settled down now. And now she actually like looks like an adult dog and not just like a little Q-tip. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's why I love other people's puppies though, because I'm not yes. dealing with the responsibility of said puppies. Yes. Puppies are so much. Um, but the Atlanta Hawks, uh, that is quite the segue puppies to the Atlanta Hawks who they might be puppies of the contender click. There's the, let's right. try and force the natural segue. Speaking um, of animals, there's also <laughs> birds. This is the hawks. <laughs> That's um, the best I can do. <laughs> is it fair to say the theme of their offseason was kind of, let's just keep this together, lock our core down, but without really consigning ourselves to one direction for too long? A little bit. I mean, I think the hawks, I think with the thing with the hawks, I mean, especially making it as far as they did in the playoffs last season, um, overcoming a ton, really, really loving Nate at the helm. I think the hawks are, are very pleased with their roster. Um, they had a few holes to fill here and there. Obviously, they're building around Trey for the long term. Obviously, they extended Capella. Um, and those two guys as your bookends, they really like that pairing. Um, they had a decision to make with John Collins. They're keeping John around, which I think was the right decision. Um, in addition to the way he's growing as a player, he's just such a vital, vital, kind of like the heart of the team. Um, so he's a vital piece for them as well. Um, in addition to what he does on the court. So they like their guys. They like their core. They kind of have the, um, since the Hawks have been rebuilding, they've had like their kind of core five guys. And then now they have the expanded core because you've added a guy like Clint Capella. You've added a guy like Bogey, who's very important to what they do. So I think the Hawks went into this offseason knowing that Onyeka Okongwu was banged up. Okay, we've got to add a little depth at center. Um, they did that um, knowing that, you know, backup point guard has kind of been uh, depth in the backcourt has kind of been a, a tough issue for a few years now. They added DeLon Wright. Um, so, I mean, I think they went into the, into the off season thinking, okay, here's how we plug this and that, as opposed to here's how we transform. Cause they're not really at that phase anymore. They're happy with where they are. This is, this is a good roster. They just needed to patch some issues here and there. Um, so I think that's, that's what they did. They weren't really trying to like blow the lid off anything. They just needed to tweak some things here and there. And I think, I mean, insofar as they even could have tried to blow it off the lid, I guess they could have, if they really wanted to. I thought it was smart because they did make it to the conference finals, but it's like, what happens in a normal season under those circumstances? 
And I do think teams sometimes read too much into those results. And it's clear that they really didn't. And you could, you know, I think some people thought the Clint Capella extension was, well, why did it happen this year? That felt a touch too soon. Maybe some people didn't think John Collins was worth the deal. Um, I actually thought that was just like one of those contracts you look at you're like, that makes sense for both sides, the player option at the end, the, the pay grade and everything. And so I kind of, I kind of like that they, I, I like what they did overall because they didn't do too much. And then you dig into their roster and it's like, they could just organically get a lot better if Bogey doesn't miss nearly 20 games. Um, if you have a backup point guard who plays in more than four games during the regular season, if Cam Reddish and or DeAndre Hunter are healthy. And so there's still much about the actual core that you have room to grow or at least room to see where even if they had to, even if they're looking at this as we're going full steam ahead and we need to be in the contender circle, there's enough unknowns in a good way on their roster that they're kind of getting additions without actually making any additions. That's no, that's, that's very, very well put because I think they feel really confident that um, even the past few years when they've been rebuilding um, yes, they brought in guys from outside, but they're, they, the Hawks have drafted well and they're confident in the guys, even the guys who they picked like later in the first round, like John, you know, Kevin Herter, like guys like that, they're confident they're going to hit on those guys and those guys are going to continue to develop. Um, I mean, the past few years, you've been starting like a group of 22 year olds and now, you know, they're like 23, they're 24, you know, they're growing up a little bit. Um, so you continue to develop those guys. And I think another kind of common misconception is that the Hawks, uh, when Nate McMillan took over, the Hawks suddenly got healthy. That wasn't the case. They actually almost got more injured. Um, they were injured the whole season. So they, they made this amazing run and yet they were still missing a lot of guys and a lot of guys weren't a hundred percent. Bogey wasn't a hundred percent. He was dealing with some knee issues. They didn't have Deandre Hunter at all there at the end. Um, Cam Reddish came back and had an awesome game, but he wasn't there for the entire. That's so well put awesome game. That just speaks to like the availability. He came back and yeah. had an awesome game. He had a, he had an awesome <laughs> game, um, but he wasn't there like the whole second half. So you have a lot of guys who I think they're confident that when those guys hopefully are healthy and available, you know, high performing pieces, that's enough for us to get to the next level. We don't have to go in there and shake everything up. We don't want to shake everything up. We're confident with what we have. So why would we disrupt it um, to, you know, to a crazy degree? Um, so, I mean, I think that that's kind of the question now is what happens with those guys? You know, Cam Reddish had an excellent game and Cam Reddish has so much potential. What does he do with it? Cam Reddish didn't really get to play under Nate except for one game. Um, you know, so you don't, you don't know what that's going to look like. Um, what's DeAndre Hunter going to look like um, after a phenomenal, phenomenal second season, but obviously kind of an incomplete season because of injury stuff too. Um, so I think that if the Hawks can stay healthy, I think they, they like their young guys and what those young guys can, can bring to the table. Trey young, believe it or not, is among those young guys, uh, still only 23, J just a puppy as would be the theme of, of this podcast. Still. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm having trouble envisioning because it's, because he is still so young and already so good. What does the next level of Trey, like how does Trey Young improve or how does he get better? And the other thing that's attached to that is, do you think his game is impacted at all by the NBA uh, cracking down on those free freedom of movement uh, rules at the offensive end? I think it is. Yes. But I don't think it's gonna, I think he's going to have to adjust, but I don't think it's going to like completely throw him off. If that makes sense. Like he's going to have to adjust because when you look at 
like I spoke with um, one of kind of the head referees who's in charge of the way they're going to officiate like non-basketball moves differently. Um, and I mean, it's, it's kind of an enigmatic thing. Like it's, it's hard to pin down. Like even when you look at videos of, of all these different moves, it's kind of like targeting in football. You're like, okay, but what about in this situation? So we'll just see how it goes. But I do think sometimes when he pump fakes and kind of like goes into guys a little bit, I think they might end up calling that. Uh, is that squeaker too loud? <laughs> no, that's totally fine. Our listeners are used to having puppy noise in the background. Okay, everyone, I can recommend this octopus toy to you that Millie's obsessed with. Um, it keeps her occupied, but it is loud. Um, so I think yeah. that means she's officially an influencer now. She, yeah, Millie, no one cares about like anything regarding me on my social media. Everyone is just like, where's Millie? Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's a great, it's a great octopus toy, but yeah, no, I, I think that he will have to adjust, but like, he's going to adjust his game is so fluid. You know, he's, he's not, that's not what he like solely relies on. Um, so it, it's not like that's his main thing. Um, like sometimes guys get known for stuff like that, but that's, that's not really his main thing. So I think he'll adjust. Um, and, and I think that'll probably be fine moving forward. I think he's not the only guy who's going to have to adjust. There's a lot of guys who are going to have to, cause that's kind of become part of the game the last few years. So, but they're the, they'll adjust. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think the thing for Trey moving forward, I don't think it's anything super transformational. If I were to say one thing, as far as how Trey can grow his game, I think I'm going to echo something that Nate McMillan has said a lot, which is just limiting turnovers. Um, I don't think it's anything too crazy. Um, I, I think it's something Nate, Nate has said a few times is Trey is too good to have four five, six turnovers a game. Um, and some of that in previous years has been, he's kind of trying to maybe you didn't have a supporting cast you had. So he's kind of trying to get guys in certain right. situations, um, but I think, I think this past year under Nate, you did see improvement on that. You saw more like two, three um, in that range. And that's like mm-hmm. kind of what they want to keep him. So I think for Trey, it's simple. And I think that might come, he's, he's always going to have some turnovers because you have the ball in your hands so much. Um, and that's going to happen, but I think just limiting that and making those smart plays is going to be key for him. I mean, he, he's shown, he has an elite floater game. He's shown he could, you know, shoot from the logo. He's shown, that he's one of the best passers in the league. Um, he's shown that he can deliver in the clutch in the biggest way. So he's shown all those things. I think now it's just kind of, it's just his game maturing and limiting turnovers. You mentioned he has the ball in his hands a lot and the offense was pretty bad without him last year is probably the kindest way to put it for them. I'm wondering, do you think that they have enough on this roster between adding DeLon Wright, keeping Lou Will, having, let's say, Bogey be be healthier to better navigate those those offensive minutes without Trey Young on the floor this year? I do, especially if Kevin Herter continues to be what he was this year for the Hawks. Um, It was kind of funny going into this past season, there were all these questions of, wow, the Hawks almost have too many guys. Like, how do they get minutes for all these guys? And then that ended up not remotely being an issue because of the way that guys got hurt. And Kevin Herter ended up being kind of like a go-to guy. And what happened is he completely blossomed. Um, He was known as a kind of a, I guess he was known for being a three-point shooter, 
but then really blossomed as a defender, which was cool to watch. And then he ends up being like your game seven hero against the Sixers, you know, sending you to sending you to the conference finals. So he actually played a little bit. He kind of ran the point a little bit sometimes this past year when, when Trey was out, um, just injured a game here, a game there. So I think with those, with that group of guys, yes, I think they're going to have enough. Um, but it has been a question. It's just, it's, it's hard to find, you know, like, cause part of me wants to say, yeah, it's been an issue for them for a long time, but those reliable backup point guards are, that's, that's a hard niche. That, that's a hard get to, to find a perfect guy to mm-hmm. fill the role. So I think they have a handful of guys that can come together and fill that role. Um, and it, it will be interesting to see how Delon fits in. Um, I, I like that fit in theory. We'll have to see how it looks. But all, all of those guys that we just talked about, like Kevin's an excellent passer. Bogey's a good passer. Um, you know, lose a little bit more of a two, but he, I mean, he single-handedly won the Hawks several games last year, just coming alive on the fourth. And he probably did more than that just with the experience that he brings. Um, so I do think they have enough kind of, but, but it's not just behind Trey. I do think they have enough behind and alongside him, but I think there are going to be some combinations thereof um, in order to have enough kind of playmaking and passing on the court when Trey uh, inevitably at some point has to go to the bench. And I was looking in advance of this pod at some of the lineups without Trey that might've worked and it was very limited sample size, but the Hawks absolutely annihilated opponents when Lou will and bogey played together last year without Trey young. And if Kevin Herter is going to stick with his defensive improvement, it makes it easier to insert him in those lineups. But as you mentioned, there's also Delon Wright because of the positional malleability he gives you on defense. You can maybe insert him into that duo and that becomes something where no, do I think that they're going to outscore opponents? I think it was by 12 points per hundred possessions with those two on the court without Trey, probably not, but it makes it a little bit more sustainable because you mentioned it's sort of like a, you know, replacing Trey by committee in those minutes. It makes it easier if you have, you know, the defensive talent to pair with that offensive talent, which maybe they do now between right Herter's improvement. And you can of course play Capella in the middle during some of those stretches as well. Exactly. It's not just like you have, it's just not a situation where you have one guy who comes off the bench and is like, okay, now I'm leading everything. You know, it's, it's a little bit different than that. It's a, it's a combination of guys thereof who also, like you mentioned with Kevin and Delon, if you bring that defensive intensity as well, you're kind of compensating in other ways. Mm -hmm. So I just think there's going to be, I think they have enough uh, with different combinations to make it work. I mean, we've got to see, and that obviously assumes all those guys stay, stay healthy, um, which has just been, uh, that was just kind of a big, uh, a big issue for them last year. And it sounds silly to talk about because obviously they made it work and they still like made it to the conference finals, but it just, it just felt like that was just such a nagging thing that they just couldn't stay healthy. But I know it, to be fair, a lot of teams had that issue because right you're playing every day and it was a brutal season and it was such a unique season too. So I think this year getting back to kind of normal, um, you know, not completely normal, but kind of normal. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be kind of going back. It's going to be a change, you know, for these guys after a year of kind of that condensed schedule. Um, and I know it was tough on a lot of, a, a lot of teams. Uh, you mentioned already that Onyeka Kungu is banged up with him out. Do we just automatically assume that John Collins will take on even more sort of backup five minutes, even though he'll start next to Capella? Or do you see them, 
you know, is, is Gorgie Jang going to play a ton with this team? Do they maybe even consider downsizing where Gallinari is sometimes their five in second units? Or again, should we just assume that Collins is going to take on a lot of those reps now? Um, I think it could go a couple different ways. Um, I, I think another, I mean, the Hawks have a couple different ways they can do it. Um, but I think, yes, I think John kind of, especially because the Hawks are not, you know, the Hawks are trying to win, you know? And so I think there will be some times where you just kind of give those minutes to the guy who, you know, is experienced and you trust him there and that's John. Um, but they did add some depth for that purpose. Um, but it's, it's disappointing though, that Onyeka who had a good playoffs. Yeah was really starting to come on strong after a tough few months, kind of early months in the league where again, it, it was because of injury. I think that he, he kind of struggled when he first got out there, but he's not going to be out the whole season. Um, he's going to be out for the first several months of the season, but he's not going to be out the whole season. So I think they'll triage it for the first few months. And then, you know, you'll be able to bring him back, which I think is good. Cause I think playing behind Clint Capella, and alongside John Collins, um, if possible, kind of helps on Yeka because you're around two experienced players. What did you think of Collins in the playoffs? There were people that sort of pointed to his stat line was just modest when you looked at it, but I was watching him and I came away on most games, just super impressed with what he was doing because when you're looking on offense, it's an adjustment to have to play alongside Clint Capella because you're all of a sudden no longer the primary dive guy. And it felt like he was finding more ways to impact on offense, whether he was popping, even, you know, his three ball wasn't always even falling. Then I'm watching him on defense and there's like, this was not the case in every game of every series, but he's like defending guys who actually put the ball on the floor and have like unpredictability to their off the dribble attacks. And he's holding up quite well. And it felt like maybe overstating it to say that he turned a corner, but like, this is someone that I think probably needs to be reevaluated even more because it's, it seems to me like he's now capable of playing so many different roles or at the very least, a player that doesn't have a ton of exploitable weaknesses as people I think thought even leading into last season. Yeah. I mean, I think John John's game has grown a ton in ways that doesn't in a lot of ways that don't show up in the box score the way you'd expect. He has gotten a ton of credit from the front office from Nate McMillan. He's gotten a ton of credit for being a guy who whose stats are going to go down a little bit, but the Hawks wins are going to soar. Um, because like you said, he's not that, you know, now when Trey, now Trey has two guys he can pair with, you know, like he, he has Clint as a rim runner, obviously John, that's his thing as well. I think one thing that's helped John with that though, with that adjustment is being a good three point shooter. Um, he's actually a surprisingly good three point shooter. So I think that's helped his game a lot. Um, but, you know, it, it's one of those things where you are going to score less because there's fewer touches to go around. That's that's the thing on a winning team. You know, you're not going to get every single touch every single time because there's more talent. There's more depth on the court. Um, there's more talent on the court. Um, but I, I think he's also improved defensively a lot. Like you mentioned him. Uh, you mentioned him taking on guys, you know, who are dribble driving or, you know, he's, he really, he really has grown as a defender. That's another thing that's not always going to show up and it's not always going to show up as blocks, you know, at the rim. Right. Um, but that doesn't mean he's not, that doesn't mean he's not containing. That doesn't mean he's not, um, 
making guys change their shots. You know, that doesn't mean that he's not doing all of those things. So I, I mean, I, I personally thought the Hawks keeping John and I I thought that was a good deal for both sides. Um, He made it like abundantly clear. He wanted to stay Um, the Hawks in the end kept him around. And I think that was, I think that was, the right decision. I think his game has grown a ton and because he's the longest tenured hawk. So because he's been around so long, you get the perception that he's like older than he is. I think mm-hmm. he's still a young core guy. Well, puppy. He's still, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's puppies. Um, it's, it's, it's a, it's still a young group of guys who are really developing. And I think, I think John is kind of uh, a big, example of that and I think that when Clint came along I think that he could have been you know disheartened by that a little bit just because you are going to have to have some personal sacrifice there but it makes it I think it makes it easier when you're winning and you see okay if I do this we're gonna win you know and and he was a big part of that because of the way he's grown on both ends of the floor and it's good for them that it seems like it, just watching him on the court. And I know there was the reports, like I think was it was early last year. I've lost all sense of time about like friction yeah. between what he thought about um, Trey Young having the ball too much beyond Trey Young. Like there are just other guys on this team. Now you look at Lou will Bogdanovich Gallo um, who are going to have the ball in their hands. And so if you have someone who is just committed to sort of fitting in and complimenting wherever he can accessorizing wherever he can, that ends up being a huge deal, especially if he's, I always thought this about Clint Capella in Houston. When you look at the point he was in his career, and John Collins is sort of at the same point, at given his age, you could want more touches. You could want to try and broaden your game. But if he really is committed to or just doesn't mind kind of fitting in and, and filling the gaps on offense and just depending on which lineups he's in, that ends up being absolutely monstrous for this team and their development. Yeah, I agree. I think that when you have a roster like the Hawks have, which you don't necessarily have like a ton of guys who are like, you know, previous all-star, you know, you don't necessarily have a lot of guys who are, um, who are, have done that yet. Um, but you have a lot of good young talent who's willing to be, that's willing to be flexible. And I think that's, what's key. And I think that's what they tried to kind of, and John's exhibit a of that. Um, and I think that's kind of what they tried to drive home last year is you're going to have to sacrifice a few minutes. You're going to have to sacrifice a few points, but we're going to the Eastern conference finals. So it, so it worked out last year per my notes, when I was looking at last year's outline for this podcast, I asked you who was the most important wing to the Hawks between Herder Reddish and Hunter. Uh, you had said Hunter, I was holding out hope for Reddish. You were 150% right on Hunter, even though he didn't play much. It just, he was in the early MIP discussion, just based off when you looked at his offensive game, he was doing things off the dribble. Of course, he unlocks so many lineups for them if they want defensively. What are realistic expectations now for him heading into this year, given that he missed so much time last year and was dealing with pretty serious injuries during that stretch? I mean, I think the biggest thing is just for him... To start out, I think that it's just about him getting comfortable again with the ball in his hands, getting comfortable again, just planting, cutting that kind of thing. I think, I think it's kind of like a slow and steady approach because like you said, he was, he was hurt. And, um, I mean, it, it wasn't necessarily like the mildest thing, you know, like it was, it was a, it was an injury that 
you don't, you don't want to have, you know, early in your career. It's, it's just tough. Um, I think that, I think that it was a, it was a tough setback for him and the Hawks, um, but they're confident he's going to be healthy for training camp. So that's, that's excellent. Um, I think for him, I think Deandre kind of the sky's the limit for him. Um, he was looking like kind of that, he was looking like that kind of player that everybody kind of wants on their team, you know, like that guy who can sort of that guy who can really kind of do it all. Like he was, he was shooting well, he was taking guys off the dribble. He was creating his own shot. He was playing great defense. He's got great size. Like he was kind of developing into this like unicorn player. Um, And then you know, injuries happened and then he came back and then he uh, went away again and then he came back and then he went away again. You know, it's kind of that. I, I think the stop and start made it yeah. a little hard too, because then you, you come back and then you, your knee kind of gets inflamed and, and just stuff like that. Um, so I think for him, I, I think you don't necessarily want to say, Hey, you have to recreate that from the get go. Cause he hasn't played in a game in a long time. Yeah. So I think for him, it's just getting comfortable again uh, getting comfortable again, getting back to game speed, which I guess after the off season, like all guys have to do that. But with him in particular, having been injured, getting back to game speed, and then just kind of trying to pick up where he left off to the best of his ability. Cause he really was flashing such major potential. And that's why it was, I mean, in general, it was a, a bummer that he got hurt, but it was also I think tough for a lot of people to watch just because you, you can't help but think, what if we had him healthy? What if we had, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like for Hawks fans, I think that's a, that's kind of a, a tough game to play is what if we had, what if Trey Young didn't back into a ref's foot, you know, in, in that series versus Milwaukee. Um, but it, it happened and you just have to deal with it because injuries are a part of the game. But I think for him, it'll just kind of be, you know, a slow and steady training camp and then try to pick up where he left off because he was doing a little bit of everything, which is what the Hawks needed. Um, everything that they were asking him to do, he was doing that and more. Do you think they'll be conservative or more conservative with his minutes to start the year? Um, just to sort of monitor how that right knee is responding to real game action. Maybe it might be too soon to say, I wonder how he'll do in training camp. Um, um, but even training camp is not exactly, you know, like a real NBA game. Um, so it might make sense for him to be on a minute restriction at first. I mean, he's, again, he's a young guy. You don't want to, you don't want to risk anything, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to, you don't want to risk his future, you know, in, in any way, shape or form. Um, but it might just depend on how training camp goes. So now my question has shifted to just Kevin Herter or Cam Reddish. Who do you think is, and I think the easy answer is Kevin Herter. He's just He's proven more at the NBA level. He's definitely more plug and play on offense, but as a stubborn Cam Reddish supporter, game six against Milwaukee, I'm never going to forget about it for him. Who do you think is sort of more important to Atlanta's long-term trajectory when looking at those two guys? So it's hard to say at this point, I'm going to give an annoying answer if it's too soon to say, because it's, it's hard to say anything about Cam Reddish long-term before you see him short-term. That's because he, he hasn't done he he you know like like I said he had that amazing game and Cam Reddish just has such potential um but it hasn't you know it hasn't been realized yet you know he's he's still he has a lot of potential but he still has to you know show that on the court and, and develop and he's he's super young he has all the pieces he's 
very naturally gifted defensively. He's very long. He gets into passing lanes. He has great defensive instincts. Um, so I think defensively, I think that's not really a, the, the biggest question. I think he's, he's shown so much and flashed so much uh, defensively, but I think offensively, it's just a question of consistency and his shot. Um, Cause he was majorly struggling with a shot last year um, before getting injured. And then he, he came back and obviously showed he can hit threes, um, you know, off the dribble, no less, apparently all of a sudden <laughs> he had, what did he have? Like seven, it, you know, like, he, I just remember watching that game and I felt like I was having an outer body experience. Just like, where did this come from? Of course it's like a playoff game too. Right. It, I mean, it, like it's, he can, he can do it. It's just, can you do it consistently? Um, and again, it's also, he, a lot of guys blossomed under Nate, and Cam didn't get that chance because he didn't, he wasn't playing until that final game um, because, because of injury. And it was um, an Achilles injury too, which can be tricky. Um, so I think with Cam, I think a lot of people are really eager to see how he does under Nate. Um, he's got a little bit more experience now, um, having played at least at the beginning of last season. Um, and it's, I think it's just kind of, can he find that? can he develop offensively enough to pair with his defense, which is clearly going to be standout if it keeps going the way it's going. Um, and if that's the case, I mean, the Hawks could still use some bulking up defensively. So they'll, they'll certainly be happy to have that added to their, um, you know, added to, to the situation. Um, but I think, I mean, I think Kevin, given what he did the second half of last season is, I mean, he's, you know, he's older, he's a little bit further ahead of cam obviously in development. Um, and I think, so yes, I, I would say, you know, Kevin right now is probably going to do more for you just because he's in that place, but cam has so much potential. It, yeah. Cam, cam has so much potential. It's just, can he put it all together? You've mentioned Nate a couple of times and sort of how it wasn't just the Hawks getting healthy last year because they, they were never truly healthy last year. What were like, are there, were there any like main differences or just something about that transition that you noticed that really contributed to why the Hawks got better or why some players performed so much better once he took the reins? I think he, a lot of the guys commented on, on how Nate kind of featured certain guys offensively and empowered certain guys offensively, particularly when they had it going. Um, like Bogey was coming off the bench for a while um, and just wasn't really thriving. And then under Nate, they featured Bogey a little bit more. And then Bogey became like Steph Curry for a while, like um, just, you know, raining threes and just really, really came into his own and just kind of gelled a little bit more. Um, so I, I think that Nate, when a guy has it going, Nate is really big on like, okay, we're going to feature this guy. We're going to get this guy the ball. And then I also think with Trey, I think Nate and Trey have a good relationship. I think Nate, especially kind of, you have that bond kind of having played the same position. Like, I think there's like a little right. bit of camaraderie there. Um, and Nate talked about how Nate told this story, which I thought was uh, I, I thought this was awesome that Nate basically approached Trey and said, you know, I'm a little bit more old school. You're a little bit more new school, but the best that we're going to be is when we kind of mix the two and they kind of bonded. And I think that Trey, I think Nate put a lot 
of confidence on Trey, but also still guided him, you know, to say, okay, we're going to fit. We're going to, we're going to tweak this. We're going to, you know, limit turnovers here. Um, but obviously this is, this is your team and you're the leader. Like this is, you know, this is on you. This is, this is a, this is a, a lot, it's a lot on a young guy, but you know, you're, you're kind of the leader and the star of this team. Um, so I think that that relationship kind of blossomed as well. Um, so I think, I think the combination of just getting guys in the right spot and, and trusting guys and featuring them at the right moments. Um, and then his relationship with Trey really developing. Um, I think that did wonders for this team and also getting kind of the a bugaboo of the Hawks in the first half was falling apart in the fourth quarter. Um, I it's, it's like, it was, it, it was, it really became a thing which you don't want that to be your thing. Cause then it gets, <laughs> it gets in your head that that's a thing. And then uh-huh. it happens even more and it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, and he got them to buckle down defensively in the fourth quarter. And he got that, he got them to shed that reputation, which is obviously not a reputation you want to have. And that transformed them as well. Just buckling down defensively. Like we're not going to be the team that blows that lead. Um, and they were able to, to instead kind of not even just not do that, but it kind of became the opposite. Like then they became the team that was like, had like the best plus minus point differential in the, in the league in the second half. Um, so they, they transformed, uh, several ways under Nate. It just ended up being a good fit. Another thing that I thought was kind of interesting about their off season is it felt like they just decided. And I, I think correctly, just because you look at where they were in the draft, like we're going to take our big swings there because they went with two polarizing guys and Jalen Johnson and Sharif Cooper. And even as someone who wasn't, I'm still not a Sharif Cooper guy. Uh, he did have that game in summer league where he decided to hit a bunch of threes and I was just flabbergasted, but I thought that was really smart with what they did. Do you envision either Jalen Johnson or Sharif Cooper actually getting an opportunity to do anything for this team this year? Or do you think it's going to be more of a development behind the scenes and, and in the G league type of situation for both of those guys? They're going to have to big time earn, earn their minutes um, because you look at the Hawks roster and you go like even just position by position one through five. And you're like, where are you going to fit? You know, there's, because there's every single position, there's a handful of guys um, that the Hawks are probably comfortable with. Um, So, I mean, they're going to have to earn it, but I think that um, especially with, you know, the G league being the Hawks moved the sky Hawks down to Atlanta, their G league affiliate. So that, that team is really close now. So you can, uh, you can get guys some playing time there and then they can, they can play up as well. Um, and Sharif's on a, a two way. So he'll do that. He'll do that anyway. But I, I think that those guys, the past few years, it's funny the kind of the young guys on the team for the Hawks who maybe would be in that role have been just playing, you know, cause the Hawks needed those guys. They needed those bodies. Um, they needed minutes from them in, in the NBA but I think those guys will have the ability to develop at, um, I think those guys will have the ability to develop at their own pace, you know, and get minutes down in the G league if they, if need be. I do think Jalen though, I, I think, I think Jalen with his just, I mean, he's got great size. He, he seems to have good instincts. Um, he had a great summer league, which you don't want to overreact to summer league. Um, both him and Sharif Cooper had a great summer league, but I think, I definitely think Jalen, I mean, I think the opportunity is going to present itself for both of those guys. 
Um, but you know, it's going to be tough. They're going to have to carve out time because there's so many, there's so many experienced guys ahead of you as well. Um, but Jalen's got a ton of potential. Sharif's got potential, um, as well. So I think, I think those are both kind of to your point, intriguing picks. Um, but I think, I think we'll get, have the ability to see them at some point. I think the prevailing sentiment, at least at nationally has been that the Hawks can't keep all of their guys long-term you've now extended Capella paid Collins. You offered Trey young, the no brainer max extension. Um, and then Hunter Herter and reddish, like they're all coming up on their next deals. And then you also sort of have Gallo who has after this season, one partially guaranteed year left. And you have bogey with two more years left after this one. Do you, ex- are they built to make a big trade if they want, or should we expect maybe even if it's not this season, but within the next year and a half to there be some sort of asset consolidation here? Or do you think they will look at this? And if it's working with the current core, they can say, look, the cap is going to go up, even if they're smoothing after the next TV deal. And maybe they can afford all these guys. But when I do look at the roster and just like some of the contracts that are coming up, even with if Onyeka Kungu is healthy, but you've already paid Capella and Collins, it does feel like this team yes, the right player has to come along. The actual star market or marquee player market needs to develop, but they do sort of low-key feel like they're built for a consolidation type of trade, even if it's not right now, sometime down the line. Yes, um, I think I think that makes sense. I think that um, Travis Schlenk, uh, GM Travis Schlenk has been, understandably, we've, you know, we've asked him about this a few times because it does kind of seem like, um, it, particularly like, there's some guys on the roster like Gallo, like you have salary matching capability, um, the Hawks do. So I think that the they would have the ability to, but I think one thing Travis has talked about is, you know, in today's like in today's market for like a big star, those guys have a say in where you're going. Um, you know, you know, especially nowadays. And I think kind of the goal for the Hawks is to become that free agency destination, you know, which comes with winning. Um, so I, I think they're, they're definitely doing that with what they did last season. Um, because now you, you don't have this picture in your head of, you know, the Hawks are a rebuilding team. The Hawks are, are struggling. The Hawks didn't make the bubble, you know, stuff like that. Now you, now you have a completely different picture of this team. So I think, um, I actually pulled up this, story that Travis, uh, that I wrote on Travis, cause he talked about this a while ago, but basically he said that last year put us on, put the Hawks on the map as far as a free agency destination for stars who now would be open to coming to Atlanta. But the situation two things, I mean, one thing that has to happen is like the situation has to arise, you know, for, for that, for that timing to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and also they have to want to come to Atlanta. Um, right. so, uh, you know, the kind of the stars have to, uh, the stars have to align there for you. And then, um, he was also asked how much of a pri- priority it is to get a second star next to Trey. And he basically said, you know, you can draft and develop, go out and acquire through free agency or trade, uh, right now. Cause there is no right now, cause we're on a team that's going to have cap space. It's got to come from internal growth. So it might happen at some point and they're built to be able to handle it if the, the situation does arise. But I don't necessarily think that's something that like they, they're thinking, okay, we've got to do that this season. 
like, I think they're happy with the guys that they have and can at least take one more season to develop and grow and see what they turn into. You know, I don't necessarily think that this season is the season that has to happen, but if that were, if the situation were to arise in the future, they have some capabilities to, to make that happen. I feel like I'm about to shill on behalf of the Hawks. It's funny how narrow the scope of um, stardom definition has become because John Collins and Clint Capella in any given year can make an all-star team in the Eastern conference. I get if you don't view them as second best player on championship team material, but it's it's just funny that they have two of those caliber guys where a lot of teams just look at the Mavericks. They just don't like, even whatever you think of Chris they just don't have that guy who might be a second all-star in any given year right now. The Hawks have two of them. So there's probably shouldn't be as much of an urgency to do anything major. Yeah. And what about like uh, uh, another thing that I feel like people kind of forget, which is understandable because he didn't play much is like DeAndre Hunter was turning into, you know, a potential star too. Like they have a, a handful of guys who um, could really be in that category that you mentioned. Um, but I also think, I also think that, um, I mean, Clint Capella like led the league in rebounding, like, you, you know, John did what, he did. I, I think that um I think that the Hawks also until the playoffs came along, they didn't play on national TV like hardly at all. So I think then some people were like, oh wow, Clint Capella is playing really well for the Hawks, you know, and you just didn't know that name necessarily. You just didn't know that you didn't know that um you didn't know that necessarily until maybe the playoffs because people weren't watching them game in and game out. But they did have a lot of guys who we're playing really well next to Trey who could potentially be that, you know, second star. Um, it's just, it's just kind of maybe people weren't noticing as much until those playoff, that playoff run. When you look at this roster, is there a type of player, not even a name, but that would get them to think along that route. And it's probably just more of a macro question of what do you still think is the biggest void on this roster that, that they still need to, to reach that, next level in the Eastern conference landscape, or just to solidify their place among the the contenders or fringe contenders over the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if there's one big piece that I'm like, okay, if they could just go get this one guy, it was more kind of the small things almost. It, it was more kind of situational. It, it was more kind of situations where like, okay, they can't keep struggling when Trey goes to the bench. They have to find a way to plug this situation. So backup point guard, which it doesn't necessarily fall into the, I know we're talking about stars um, and I just mentioned a backup point guard, but that's, I, I think honestly, that was a big issue for them. And then also just kind of, kind of beefing up the defense a little bit because I think there were some times when Clint had too much on his plate. Um, Clint was phenomenal for the Hawks and transformed the defense in so many ways, but he can't do everything. And I, I think there were some times, particularly early in the season where they were put, they were putting a lot on his plate right at the rim, kind of as your, your backstop and not doing enough in front of him. Um, so, I mean, I, I think kind of defending I think beefing up the defense is one thing that comes to mind with the Hawks in addition to backup point guard. And those aren't necessarily, um, you know, it's hard to say like, okay, do they need to get one guy or do they just need to position the roster for those to address those 
to address those things. And I think this, I think this season will be a pretty good, you know, measuring stick and, and indicator of that, you know, did we do enough to um, make sure we can cover things when Trey goes to the bench? Do we have enough defense? You know, can we, can we defend, you know, the point of attack? Can we have enough in front of Clint um, to, to defend at the, the level we want to, um, but, you know, now they've got, they've got Nate from the get-go um, and they've got, you know, they made a, a few tweaks here and there and they're comfortable with their young guys. So I think this year will be a really good measuring stick. Yeah. And that's the, I think you can make a case either way for that team, but it does sort of, and this is the, the non-sexy answer. You want to get a gauge for what they have first, just because there are so many guys that miss time. And you mentioned the point of attack defense. There's a chance now that they go from just having three guys that they either didn't have or weren't healthy last year who can do that in DeLon Wright. And then Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter just were both injured. And so it, and, they're, and they're already on the roster. So, right. like, so that's, that's why it's, it, it, sometimes it's hard to almost address like, do the Hawks need this or do the Hawks need that? And it's like, well, can I, can I get back to you? Give me like a month into the season. And let me tell you, because some of these guys you didn't really get to see. So it's like they I, I could say they need this and they need that, but they might already have it. We just don't necessarily we haven't necessarily seen it all together yet. You know, if that makes sense. Teams, good teams will invariably look to improve the roster, though. And so even if it's not a, not a seismic move. There's a probably a pretty high chance they'll do something before the trade deadline. Do you look at this roster as of now? And we haven't seen the season unfold, obviously, so that makes it difficult and see a player though, that you think could be the most likely to be traded, whether it's one of those younger wings, just because of the, the log jam, not just on the death chart, which really isn't a log jam, but it's more so the contractual log jam that they might face or just someone else. Maybe it's, you know, one of the, the vets that they've already paid in, in a gallo or even a bogey. Um, maybe there, there is one, there is one thing that I think the Hawks are going to have to think about, which is that they've done a good job of acquiring a lot of wings who do a lot of things that you want done, but can you consolidate into like that one guy who does everything for you? Um, which, you know, the guys like that are hard to come by. Um, but I do think that it, there might be the situation where we've got so many young, talented wings we can't find them all minutes. We, we just, there's just not enough minutes in a game, you mm -hmm. know, and we've got so many, we've got so many wings that if we can't play them, you know, the minutes that they need, if we, if we don't have time for all of them, like, is this guy a great trade chip? Um, I do think that might happen. Um, I don't know who it's going to be. I mean, we, we have to wait and see how the season goes, but I do think there are, there might be a situation that arises where the Hawks have so many good wings and so many guys who are capable of contributing, but you can't find minutes for all of those. Inevitably one guy's kind of going to get left out a little bit here and there. Um, so can you then flip that guy for something else that you need just because they do have, they have so much depth there. Um, this was kind of something that was talked about going into last season too, which was like, how do we find minutes for all these guys? Like, how do our young guys develop um, when we're so kind of stacked, but then so many guys got hurt that that didn't end up being an issue, but you don't want that to be the case. You know, right. you don't want like so many people to be hurt that, okay, now there's playing time to go around, you know, you want everyone to be healthy. And if that's the case, then they might have kind of the too many guys, you know, that, that sometimes 
as that saying goes. Um, so I do think that, you know, they've, they've, they've kind of, um, put together like an excellent group of wings, but can you play them all? Do they all, are they all able to find that role? Just a couple quick hitters before I get you out of here. And I know this is definitely matchup based, but what do you think ends up being their most used closing lineup for this team? If they're, if they're fully healthy, of course. Right. Um, Trey and Clint, obviously, um, probably, I'd probably go Trey bogey, DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, Clint, um, if they're all healthy. Um, I mean, I guess that might change situationally, but I think that's kind of going to be their go-to of the, the young core with the, the young, the expanded core. That's kind of your expanded group of core players that also has a ton of it, not a ton, but, um, uh, experience together. So I think that's probably a good, a good lineup for them. Is there, if you're, let's say you're the coach, you could put any lineup on the floor you want. Is there like a quirky offbeat out of left field lineup that you think that they should try, or you think would be fun to just see them roll out? Um, uh, I would like to see there's a, see, this is tough. Cause there's so many actually. Um, <laughs> I would like to see, honestly, I don't know if it's so much a, as a lineup as at one point I want to see, I just want to see um, Jalen Johnson play and just, <laughs> <bits>. <laughs> I'm so intrigued as to how he's going to go. Um, I think I'd like to see, can I just say Jalen Johnson out there? Jalen Johnson. That's fine. That's good with me. Jalen Johnson along, alongside either Clint or John. I'm just so intrigued as to how he's going to fit. So I'll say, I'll I'll say, say, and in honor of that, I'll say mine is because this team was tough. If you put Trey at the one Collins at the five, and then just give me like all the defensive wings who might be able to do something on offense and Hunter Reddish and Jalen Johnson, like give me me that setup. Um, They really don't have a reason to try that unless there's mass injuries, but I would love to see that one. Yeah. I, I also am intrigued. Like if they could do like either a, I'm, I really get really entertained when there's like a tiny lineup and then like a gigantic lineup, you know, Jalen Johnson at the five, you said, Jaylen, it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm just so intrigued at how he's going to do, uh, at this level. I mean, it might not happen too much this season. Um, but I just think his ability to pass is, is going to be interesting too. Um, so that wasn't a very fun answer, but Jalen Johnson. Jalen Johnson at the five is a very fun answer. <laughs> it's, I mean, I think I want to see it. I don't know. Let's just throw it out there one day. Throw it uh, out the one the day. final question is, as we record this, their over-under is set at 47.5. Do you expect them, if you had to choose, would it be the over or the under for that? And where do you sort of see them stacking up in, in the East? Um, if they're healthy, I would take the over. Um, I do think that this team has a lot of potential if they can stay healthy, which is the caveat that if you've listened to this whole podcast, you've probably heard me say the word healthy like 70 times. Um, so I know I'm repeating myself a lot there, but I think that, um, I just think that's kind of going to be this team's thing. Um, but if they can stay healthy, then yeah, definitely the, the over there. And I think, I think that this team, um, I think that this team has a lot of potential sometimes in the playoffs, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. Like, are you going to, 
are you going to stay healthy? Are you going to run into a super team? You know, how, how's, how's all of that going to go? Um, but I do think this team has potential to get into the playoffs and, and make noise, um, yet again. Yeah. I'm sort of peeved at how comfortable I am smashing the over for this team. Um, and I think last year when we were talking, I said, I was worried that they might've rushed it a year too quickly, but then after watching what they did amid injuries, especially when Nate McMillan took over and in the playoffs and you look at their roster now, this has been going through. It was an easy over for me. And I think in the East, we can't even really get into what the pecking order looks like. I would say the only teams I would definitively put in front of them though, are Milwaukee and Brooklyn. And if I, I think some people make the case for Miami, I'm not quite there yet. I need to see what their offense looks like, but mm-hmm. they're like, they have a real shot at cracking the the top four, if not even the top three. Well, and that's the goal. Um, I mean, obviously you're not going to go to the conference finals every year, um, but that's the goal for this team um, is, you know, they were the fifth seed because they were swept by the Knicks in the regular season. And then they got to the playoffs and they crushed the Knicks in five games. Um, so he has an ownership stake in the Knicks at this point. I actually think I know double check that, but, Oh, I know. I saw he went back to, um, MSG for <laughs> was it WWE. Or yeah. I think some, that it was, it was one of the pro wrestling leagues. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That was a hoot. That was so funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think so. They've uh, Schlenk has kind of said that the goal for this season is um, to aim to get kind of that home field, home court advantage, you know, in the playoffs. So I think that that's a realistic goal, um, you know, provided they can stay healthy and build on what they did last season. True to form, I kept you longer than I said that I would. But is there anything else I didn't ask you about that you think needs to be covered or, or briefly discussed about about the Hawks? Um, I don't. I don't think so. I think we covered pretty much everything about the Hawks. That's intriguing from Deandre Hunter to Cam Reddish to Jalen Johnson at the five Jalen Johnson at the five. (laughs) I want to see it at some point. Um, but no, I think we covered pretty much everything. Um, can you tell our listeners where they can find your work? Maybe some videos of, of Millie as well. Yes. I'm on Twitter at Sarah underscore K underscore Spence. I tweet mostly about Millie sometimes about basketball um, and AJC.com is where you'll find all my stuff. Um, Sarah, thank you again so much for giving me a bunch of your time. And I think, as you know, by now, uh, I will be pestering you again in the future. So thank you so much for coming on. I love to be pestered. So it's good. <laughs>